Greetings to all of you from the Silver Lake Mennonite Church in New York. I was uh, looking forward to looking out over this group this evening because I knew that it was going to be quite different than what it used to be. It's been almost 29 years, in July it'll be 29 years, that Kristen Mary Diener, um, one of your ministers here, for those of you that don't know that, used to be one of your ministers, they moved to New York and um, established the Silver Lake Church. My wife and I got married right over the time when the families were just starting to move up, and so we moved up there as well. Uh, as Ben mentioned, I grew up at Mine Road. Wilma grew up here. But uh, it's, there's a lot of you that I do know, but there's a number of faces that I don't know. Uh, many of you weren't even born when we moved up there. Um, and uh, some of the rest of you have come in from other churches and so forth. But anyway, it's, uh, it's good to be here this evening. A lot of things came to my mind as I thought about introducing myself this evening. Um, one of those things that I'm going to get off the list right away is that Roman Stolzfus is my uncle. And most of you, for, for many of you, or at least some of you know that already. But um, for those of you that don't, if you know Roman and you don't know me, it won't take real long until you'll, you'll, you'll notice some similarities. Um, not that I would be aware of that, but I've been told that dozens of times. So one of the first things I do at any church I go to these days is I mention that because inevitably someone will ask me sometime during the week, are you related to Roman? And um, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but... Um, Anyway, I, I'm aware that uh, Clifford is here as well. That makes Clifford my first cousin, by the way, in case you hadn't thought about that. And um, Matt would be my cousin as well, Matt Stolzfus. And may, probably missing someone else that I should be mentioning, but um, it's good to see some um, Bible school faces here and so forth. Anyway, um, introducing our family. They're not here. All our children are at home. Uh, the two youngest will be joining us uh, Friday evening, coming down Friday afternoon, evening. But uh, we have eight children. The oldest is, she just turned 25, I guess. None of them are married yet. Uh, one is dating, and uh, maybe one or so that want to be. But um, anyway, we have eight children, ages 25 down to eight. The youngest, actually, he just, no, he's going to turn nine this summer. And so the subject of the family is something that is definitely uh, dear to my heart, and, and I'll explain more about that in a bit. Another thing I need to get out of the way is in the fall, this past fall, my wife and I and several other couples from church were in the area for a night. We just came down to kind of do some tour stuff, and um, we went to visit Sammy and Barbie. And... Obviously, he just passed away, but he told me that afternoon or morning, whatever it was, when we were visiting him a bit, he said uh, that you need to tell Ben that these meetings you're going to have are for him. Apparently, he felt that you needed these meetings. So I found out later, I, I knew there had to be a story behind it. I found out later that you and he 
kind of had it back and forth sometimes and he wanted me to make sure that I give you a hard time that these meetings are specifically for you so um, Barbie it's good to see you here and I so much wish that Sam would be sitting here tonight too uh, always a joy to have him in the audience when I preached at home <clears throat> One thing I want to clarify as well before I get into the preaching is, is I tend to preach with a bit of a, a prophetic bent. Um, I think my gift is the gift of prophecy. And sometimes I say something rather strongly. And if it feels that way to you this week, it's not because I'm mad at you or I'm scolding you but because I, I passionately believe about what I'm, I'm speaking about and because that uh, tends to be the way I, I preach. So forgive me if it feels too strong at any time, but I will be preaching uh, this week uh, what God lays in my heart, and we'll see how that goes. For some context, I'm going to be... So for some context, what I'm going to be sharing this week, I'm going to be sharing briefly... Uh, our story, when I say our story, especially my wife and I, uh, this evening's message is not specifically about marriage. There will be at least one, Lord willing, that's specifically about marriage later, probably the last evening. But I, I want to share kind of our journey as uh, to give you some context for, for what I'll be sharing this week. I think it'll make more sense. And also I want to share so that you know that we're not perfect, uh, because I'm going to be bringing to you a lot of things about the home that are ideals for the family and for marriage and all that. And it could sound like I have it figured out. Speakers often get way too much credit. It's pretty easy to get up and say a bunch of nice things, and sometimes uh, we get more and more credit than we should. Um, there was this, this past fall, we were at Penn Valley for a marriage seminar and I was doing some speaking there and the one afternoon as we were, I guess maybe it was evening meal, we were eating and, and uh, the one couple was, we were talking to, the lady said, uh, so are you and your wife marriage counselors? Do you do a lot of marriage counseling? I said, no. No, we're just, we're just a couple that's been learning about marriage. Um, we are not marriage counselors. Uh, we've never done any official marriage counseling. And so that is not us. I don't know more than what anyone else can know just by simply learning. But um, sometimes we get too much credit for, for uh, things that we supposedly know. So a, a bit about our story. <clears throat> In 2008, we were asked as a family if we would consider going to Kenya, and we didn't. That never happened. But um, over that time, what was interesting to me is not too long after that, I think that same year, um, my wife suggested, I think it was her suggestion, that we listen to the Love and Respect series about marriage, the Egrich's uh, Love and Respect series. And it was 
it was good. It was because there were some things that we, we kind of needed to, uh, to learn. And, and they talk about that crazy cycle that couples can get in where they just go around and around and the man doesn't understand the woman and the woman the man. Um, and so we listened to that, but nothing a whole lot changed. A number of years later, 2014, over Christmas, our family went to Florida. We've enjoyed doing that a number of times since. Mom and Dad own a house down there, and so we enjoy going down and spending time with them. By the way, Mom and Dad are here this evening, and that's a real privilege for me. Thanks for coming. While we were traveling to Florida, we lost a bearing on a little luggage trailer that we were pulling. One of our bags was stolen in the process of buying a new trailer. And uh, while we were down there, there was a rented bike, one of those three-wheeled bikes that we rent when we were in Florida. It got stolen. And by the way, we found it uh, there. So later, it was just a, a young boy had taken it. But it felt like God was trying to get my attention to teach me some things. And it, it just so happened that while we were there, we were on vacation, and I had bought a goal-setting course to set some personal goals for my life. Don't remember exactly how I came across that, but I felt like it was something that I needed. And so I did that while we were in Florida. A number of times I went out to a coffee shop, and I sat down, and I thought about my life and what, what I wanted to you know, what, what areas that I should grow and change in. And I'm going to be very vulnerable here with, with two of these goals. I, I wrote down about eight goals. These are very personal. But um, my wife is okay with me sharing this. We, we uh, kind of laid out this timeline here recently because it was interesting to see how, how God had been working in our lives. But two of the goals that I wrote down were this. Wilma and I will no longer speak harshly or unkindly to each other. And another one was, I will write Wilma a love note once a week until June 30th. That was for six months. Went into the next year. By February of that year, uh, Wilma noticed that there was a bit of a change in our marriage. I was changing. But she didn't think it was going to last. And I knew that. And I told her, that's okay. I get it. It's going to take a while. Sometime that spring or summer, I read every, the Every Man's Marriage book, now called, actually it was called Every Woman's Desire, now called Every Man's Marriage. It happened to be at Mom and Dad's house for a weekend, and they had this book there, and I picked it up and started reading it. Took it home and finished it made a major impact on my life. I actually did write a love note every week to my wife. And then July 3rd of 2015, I took a day and I just, I just went away. I went to a coffee shop for a while, went to a park for a while, and I started, I was just thinking about my life and, and just kind of working through some things. It felt like God was kind of calling me to a deeper walk with him. And um, that day, I had a journal along, and I wrote in there that it feels like God is calling me to something very specific that I'm not doing yet. I had no idea what it was, but I wrote that down in the book. In September of that same year, there was a woman that wrote in the Calvary Messenger, in the reader's response section, 
and unburden her heart about relationships in our homes and the struggles and the challenges uh, that we have at times in relationships in our home, especially between uh, sons and their fathers. And I'm not sure why, but after my wife and I read that article, a week or two later she said, you need to write a response to that lady. And I said, what are you talking about? I never, read, I never wrote an article. I'm not a bad writer. I was always good at writing in school and all that, but I'd never written an article of any kind for anything. And I was like, why me? She said, yeah, you need to write it. So I also wrote a reader's response article in the Calvary Messenger, kind of addressing some of the things that she, she had uh, shared a burden about. And interestingly enough, when I sat down to write or to type on my computer, I had no idea what I was going to say. But somehow, something kind of just came. And as I was writing, some things started taking shape in my own heart and mind. I started seeing some things I had never seen before. One of those was that our marriages are the key to our parent-child relationships. And I'll emphasize that more later. In December, that article was published. And what was interesting to me, I had no idea. I just wrote because God, through my wife, said I should. (laughs) And a little bit later, the phone started ringing. And a few churches called and said, we want to to hear some teaching about the home. I was the one that had been struggling. I was the one that needed some help, and I knew that, and that's why I had written those goals sometime before that. But through all that, the phone rang, and because... Because while I was in Florida, December of 2014, I wrote some goals about our marriage, is why I'm here this evening. Long way around, indirectly. Because if that had not happened and these things had not changed in my own life, in our marriage, in our home, this would not have, Ben would not have asked me to come because um, I would not have been teaching about the home. But since then, for whatever reason, God has, has uh, given a number of opportunities to teach and preach about the home in uh, churches here and there. And the thing that I find is there's a, there's a real hunger for that, just for practical, godly, solid teaching about the home and and, and what marriage should look like and all that. I would like to read, I'm I'm taking quite a bit of time to this, but it's, it's, it's laying, it's giving the context and laying the foundation for what I want to talk about this week, and I think it's all going to make more sense. I would like to read to you some of this article from this woman that wrote in the Calvary Messenger. She was anonymous and I had no, I have no idea who it is to this day. I've been curious many times. But she said this, a struggling mother in the Calvary Messenger in 2015, 
If someone could get me a glass of water, that would be great. I tend to get dry when I speak. I don't know if someone could get that for me. She said this, I appreciate that you have some articles that address present-day issues. The one in July mentioned the high percentage of youth at a VS student that have at a VS unit that have revealed incidences of abuse. I also know that at Calvary Bible School and other places where youth are encouraged to be open, share struggles. Many confess to struggles with and about broken or painful relationships in their homes to the extent that some despair of living Christian lives altogether. She goes on, I have wondered why there are not more articles about home life in your magazine. Is any God-ordained principle under greater attack presently than marriage? And my answer to that is no. It is being slaughtered by the enemy. I'll continue. Um, she writes, has there ever been a greater need for good communication, teaching, and admonishment? Why wait till we need to go to Fresh Start, Freedom Hills, Deeper Life, etc.? How do parents stay connected and unified if husband is gone all day and doesn't initiate time to communicate? How do fathers know what the wife, the adolescents, teens, and growing children are facing if they all leave for different places in the morning? Then when they come home in the evening, each one has something different going on. Youth activities, board meetings, ladies' nights, shopping with friends, etc., etc. Surely they have time to sit together for the evening meal. Some come home late, so they miss family devotions, or it's late till everyone gathers. And then it's hurried, taking turns reading the verses, and so they just skip the ones they can't read well yet because it takes too long. No one feels free to share anything from the heart or ask questions, and to save time, only dad prays. If one happens not to have anything planned, there's texting, emailing from friends, internet browsing, computer games, etc., to keep occupied with, all without needing to interact with anyone at home. And then she says this, and this paragraph gripped me. And it still does. If mom has her natural feelers out to evaluate relationships, and even gets a chance to speak to dad about any concerns she may be detecting, she is reminded that her place is to be meek and quiet and submissive and to let dad be the spiritual leader. Telling him about needs she senses causes him to feel inadequate, which he doesn't appreciate. So she watches as walls grow higher and the hearts of their children are lost to other things. Later on in the article, I'm skipping over a few things. She said this, one sister shared with me that she's praying that God would raise up ministers who would see this great relationship drought. She struggles with the fact, thank you, that a son left home and the church and now lives in sin and there was not a good relationship with his dad. Yes, there is no excuse for the son's wrong choices, but the, we women still wonder how many of these spiritual calamities could be avoided by proper care and nourishment, but we feel so helpless. Sometimes it seems information and growing good crops or good business techniques are more important than information that promotes good relationships. And then she said at the end, and yes, I'm a mom watching a son struggle with relationship issues with his dad, and I don't know what to do but to keep on praying. And so I thought that over 
after my wife encouraged me to write something, and so this is my response. I'm going to read part of it now, and maybe a little bit more of it later in the week. Because this, this is my heart. And this is some of the things that came to my mind and heart as I, as I began writing. In response to the September 2015 article in Calvary Messenger regarding relationships in the home, this is now me writing in, in 15. The sister who wrote is certainly not the only one thinking about and struggling with this. As a father with five sons and three daughters, I am intensely interested in this subject for some time now. I've been on a personal journey of learning about myself and how to better relate to my wife and children. I have not arrived, truthfully none of us ever will, but I have learned that I was making some grave mistakes along the way. Some years ago, I was first made aware of my lack when my wife said to me, yeah, this actually happened, we should go for marriage counseling. Oh, really? I was shocked. I thought we had an average to maybe great marriage with a few disagreements here and there. Another comment she made was, sometimes it feels as if you don't really love me. As a man, I didn't know what that meant, by the way. Again, I wondered what she meant by that because I thought I did love her. As I pondered what she said and tried to understand it all, I began looking for answers. I have come to realize and this is one of the things that I want you to get. Again, this is not the marriage part tonight, but it's laying a foundation for that later. This is very, very important for, for you as men. Please hear this part. I've come to realize that our wives are often much better able to evaluate our marriages than we as men are. Unfortunately, in the name of leadership, and because of our own naivete, most times we don't listen when they very gently say, Honey, our marriage needs some help. Certainly, if there's a problem, we don't want anyone else to find out. We also tend to think other couples don't have problems. Some months ago, while I was in a short weekend stay at my parents' house in PA, I picked up a book they had on the bookshelf entitled Every Woman's Desire. I took it back home to finish reading it the following week, and what I learned was a life changer for me. The fruit of what I learned is very slowly taking our marriage to a new level. For us, the journey at times is brutal, suffering crushing defeats that take some time to mend, but we are clearly seeing slow but steady changes in our marriage. Mention was made in the September article of the high percentage of abuse and poor relationships in our homes. When I was first made aware of this widespread problem, um, that this is among us, I was a bit shocked and began to muse on what may be causing it. I have been hearing it repeatedly since, and I'm giving it quite a bit of thought. In recent months, as I studied and taught about marriage because of my own deep need, the following questions keep coming to me. Is there a possibility that the lack in father-child relationships is really rooted in a lack in our marriages? If a father is constantly hurting his children by his lack of relationship with them, is it not likely that his marriage is suffering as well? <clears throat> a few more paragraphs and I'll be done. 
I wonder as we search for answers to the dad-child problem and the insecurities we see in our children as a result, are we missing the real problem by focusing first on the parent-child relationship? While I have no doubt that the relationship of the father to his sons and daughters is a large part of the problem, possibly we need to back up and focus first on healing our marriages. Is there any one factor that can bring more security to a child then when mom and dad are obviously in love with each other and are experiencing a true spiritual and emotional oneness. I know a man who has raised five very well-adjusted and confident daughters, and I recently heard him say that he is frequently asked, what did you do to raise such amazing daughters? He said this, honestly, I don't know. My wife and I scratch our heads. We weren't that great as parents. What we did do was fiercely love one another. That's about all we can point to. We just, put our, we just put one another as our ultimate priority, even over our kids, and we just loved each other in front of them. That's the only thing we can point to. It seems to me that if the marriage is truly where it could be, the wife will be free to point out where her husband may be hurting his children, and they will no doubt be working on it together. That was back in 15, and that is the context for where I'm coming from as I teach here this week. I'd like to talk this evening about foundation stones of a godly home, and if you were to choose what a good foundation would be, it might be some different stones than what I'm choosing. But I guess I'm choosing these because I feel like these are ones that are, well, very, very important, but maybe often overlooked. This, Lord willing, will be kind of the outline this week. I just preached eight messages at home this past year on this, and I'm going to be doing it in five here, so we'll see how that goes. But um, at this point, Foundation Stones, Tender Warrior Fathers, Suitable Helper, Talking to the Women, Biblical Child Training, and then the Call to Marriage Oneness. And so this evening, thinking about foundation stones of a godly home. Why does a godly home matter so much? Why is it important? I tend to walk around when I preach. I don't know if you have a lapel mic. I should have maybe asked. But if I'll try to stay put here this evening the best I can. Why does a godly home matter? Shapes the next generation. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? I have four things here that come from the Bible. A godly home is God's plan for replenishing the earth. Genesis 1.28. God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And I think he... He meant that in more ways than one. He also wanted us to grow food and things like that, but it certainly applied to the home. The godly home is God's plan for raising up a godly seed, and that's what, what you were saying there, uh, Mima. It's, it's God's way of raising the next generation to walk with him and to continue proclaiming who God is to the world. 
A godly home is God's plan for showing the world his love for the church, especially the marriage relationship in the home. In a particular way, shows God's love for the church. Very, very important. And a godly home is a place of warmth, security, love, and blessing. And we know that plants grow well in the correct climate where there's usually warmth, sunshine, uh, water, and things like that. Same with children in the home. And so this is why it's important. And I'm going to look at, at four foundation stones. I'm going to list them, and then we'll, we'll look at these one at a time. <clears throat> Number one, the Lord must be the master builder. That's from Psalm 127. And number two, man and woman roles must be clearly defined and lived out. Three, your marriage relationship must be your first ministry. And four, there must be moral purity in the home. Let's think about this first one for a bit. The Lord must be the master builder. In Psalm 127, it talks about this. And... Uh, in fact, I'm going to read, before we go on here, I'm going to read 127, 128. Let's stand for the reading, just for a change here. Psalm 127 and 128. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be. And it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. <clears throat> and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. You may be seated. I imagine if you've been a parent for any length of time, you have, con you have consciously come to the realization that you can't do this child training thing on your own. It's more than you can handle. You need God's help. And if you don't figure that out when your children are small, by the time they're in their mid-teens, you're very likely going to know it then. At least after you have two or three. Maybe the first one. Sometimes that first child just does everything just right. We're like, wow, I'm an amazing parent. Why don't other people have this figured out like we do? And <laughs> about the third or fourth one comes along and just destroys everything you thought you knew. How many ever had that happen? We won't say which one it was. Second, third, fourth, fifth, but um, what's that? Okay. We need God's help. And it says that here in Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, you are going to labor in vain. 
And there's a lot of things you need to do. There's a lot of things that you should do well. And it's a lot of hard work. But unless God, unless you let God in as the architect, the designer, and the one who gives you strength, it's going to be hard work. And uh, probably be looking at that more in a later message, those verses there. But that's the first one. The Lord must be the master builder. None of us as parents, no matter how good our training program is, it's not good enough to make our children what they should be without God. In another version, it says like this. I think this is maybe the good news translation, which I don't highly recommend, but it is interesting how it says it here. If the Lord does not build the house, the work of the builders is useless. If the Lord does not protect the city, it does no good for the centuries to stand guard. It is useless to work so hard for a living, getting up early and going to bed late, for the Lord provides for those he loves while they are asleep. And I've, I've wondered, I, I wish God would tell me exactly what that means there. Um, in the King James, it says, For so he giveth his beloved sleep. I think, I think what it means is that we as parents, we stress out sometimes. We lose sleep over maybe one or more of our children. And he's saying, you know what? Give it to me. And then you go to bed and rest. And I'll take care of it while you sleep. Doesn't mean God is always going to fix everything. But it does mean that our children are better off in his hands than just our own. We so much need his help. Second one, man and woman rules must be clearly defined. Stu Weber in the book, Tender Warrior. By the way, I really have enjoyed this book. I read through it several times over the last number of years, talking about manhood. And um, he, he calls men tender warriors. And I really like that because I think it paints the proper picture of the role of a man. Men are meant to be strong, to be, yes, warriors, to go out and do battle, to go out and, Father-in-law Chris used to say, slay the dragons. That's what we're called to do. We're to be the protectors in our homes. But we're to be tender warriors. And I've read stories about army generals where it was incredible the humility that they had um, for the positions they were in, and you wouldn't think it of someone like that. And so the man is to be a tender warrior. The woman is to be a suitable helper or... Uh, the Bible says a help meet or a, a, a helper that is suitable for the man. And, and that, is to, that is the man and, uh, and woman roles. A lot we could say about that, and we're going to talk more about that in the next couple evenings, Lord willing. But in Genesis 2.18, the Bible says, as he, he looked at Adam and he said, it's time to make him a partner now. All the animals had one, but Adam didn't. And God said, I'm going to make him a helper that is suitable for him. In Ephesians 5:21, which we'll look at more later as well. 
I think the New Testament there, or the Ephesians 5 specifically, is calling marriage back to somewhat of its, its original state, what it was meant to be, because after Adam and Eve fell, you look at a number of chapters after the fall there in Genesis, the destruction, the violence, and the sin of mankind was unbelievable. Marriage was just completely messed up. And it seems that in the New Testament, God is calling us back to that ideal, the way it was before the fall. In verse 22 of Ephesians 5, and I should, I should be reading some of this. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of skimming through this this evening because we'll look at it more later. But in verses 22 to 24, uh, he talks about the woman. I guess I'm going to read this part. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so the wife is called to be under the man in order it's, it's the order of headship. It's the order of, of authority. But this is not making the woman a doormat. Someone for we as men to tramp on, to step on. But it it's becomes an opportunity when the woman submits and then the husband loves as it talks about later. It becomes an opportunity for you as women to find protection under your husband or even just under man in general, for those that aren't married, to be protected and provided for. And a woman, and, and many, we, we, we know there's many in today's world, obviously, who, who refuse to come under that. that they, they refuse to submit, they refuse to come under the protection that the man was meant to provide, and, and they miss out on a huge blessing. Yes, Submission does cost something. Submission to God costs something for all of us. But when we do it willingly, it also comes with tremendous blessing. It's a safe place. It's a place of joy and peace. And so as we, as men as well, are to submit to God, so you are to submit to your husband. And assuming you're submissive and he loves... It's a beautiful place of protection. For many, today's world, it's not a safe place. It's unsafe because the husband is not what he should be. <clears throat> Another part of this role of women is, is the call to modesty. And just briefly, 1 Timothy 2, 8-9 in the ESV says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. God has made you as women with a beauty that we as men unfortunately don't have, right? <laughs> We're just not blessed with that. God has given you that. But the entirety of your beauty is to be hidden except for the one you're married to. And that, that becomes, that's a beauty that um, 
Only a godly woman can really display it. First Peter 3 talks about this as well. Verse 3 through 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold or, or of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden pat person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. Again, this is the ESV. The beauty of a woman as it's shown in the world is the attire of a harlot, according to Proverbs. So you as godly women are called to modesty, to soberness. Again, this is not some kind of a constraint it's not that you can't smile. God has meant for that to be a place of joy for you. And um, uh, it, it's a beauty that the world knows nothing about. And I'm, I'm guessing that at least some of you have already had the experience when you were in public somewhere, especially if you go out of a Mennonite area. Maybe you're traveling through another area or you're somewhere out of the Mennonite circles. And you're in a public place, and a person will come up to you as women and say, that's a beautiful dress. I love your dress. Some of you have heard that. We've heard that in New York a lot already. You know why? Because you look like a woman. And there's a beauty there that they don't see in the world around them otherwise. <clears throat> Notice, and in, 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 uh, if you go on there, and I didn't ask you to turn to it, but in, in 1 Peter 3, when you go down a few more verses, then it talks again to the man, and it says, you're to understand and care for your wife in an understanding way. Like, try to understand her. She's the weaker vessel. God has made her that way. Try to understand her in that. So for the men, if the woman... If, if submission and modesty and all those things are meant to be a safe place under you as the leader of the home. Then be a safe place for them. Are you up to that job? Are you going to be a safe place for them? And by the way, this, this protection uh, that, of the women under your, the umbrella of your leadership is is meant to be in all three dimensions. And what I mean by that is spiritually, as a spiritual leader, it's to be uh, emotionally and to be physically. In all three ways, you're to be their protector and their provider. That is your role. Stu Weber in the book uh, that I referred to, Tender Warrior, he says that men are to be a king, a warrior, a mentor and a friend. He says that's our role, and I, I find that fascinating. He also said this, that men stand tallest when they are protecting. And, you know, these days we don't have as much opportunity for that maybe as, as what um, they had back in the days when, you know, the lions roamed or like over in Africa or, or even in the Wild West where there was... Um, you know, more wild animals or maybe there was Indians they were dealing with and those kind of things. Uh, we, we, we don't have as much of this opportunity to be 
physical protectors in, in that sense. And so I think sometimes we forget what God has called us to be. We're to be warriors and protectors. Tender warriors and protectors, by the way. Moving on to number three. Your marriage must be your first ministry. This is one that uh, I could probably say different, differently because not everyone would agree with that, depending what I mean by it. Obviously, God is first, and we have other callings. <clears throat> but I would like to say that I believe we should never sacrifice our marriage on the altar of any kind of ministry or calling. Men have done this in many ways. We as men, as I mentioned, we are, we are called and made to be warriors and protectors. And sometimes maybe our job, especially you think of someone, um, a firefighter, a, a, a policeman, or, or someone in the military, it's, it's, it's kind of that man thing, like we're doing something to protect people, to save people, and so forth. And there are those who have sold their marriages on the altar of their occupational calling. Or their ministry. I don't just mean a minister in a church or a pastor, but it can be all kinds of ministries. Ephesians 5 says this. Husbands, love your wives. And this is in the ESV again. It says it's slightly different than King James. It says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm of the persuasion that nothing should be ahead of your marriage. Now, I realize that, that, that God can ask you to do things um, that, that may push your marriage to the side for a season or for a short time. Um, in times of persecution, persecuted countries, sometimes men are hauled off to prison and the wife is left at home. Obviously, those things happen. There's nothing we can do about it. And so um, there, there's things like that where, where something else um, kind of comes in the way. But, but I'm, I'm suggesting that in your, in your work and in your, in your roles, um, whatever ministries you're involved in, whatever work you're involved in, that you do not sacrifice your marriage on the altar of your work in your ministry. And I've noticed, well, maybe I'll just mention this. A few years ago, I was asked to preach at the annual minister's meetings. And I was preparing for that, and in the, in the last few days before we left, as I was studying, I mentioned to my wife that I, I don't feel quite as um, afraid of this assignment as I did the time before that. I had preached a few years before that at ministers' meetings, and I didn't have as much fear of it. And I just assumed that, well, it's the second time, so, you know, it's not as big a deal. 
But her immediate response was, you feel different because our marriage is different. And that stunned me. I had to stop for a little bit, but it was true. As I preached that day, there was a freedom in my spirit just to preach it because everything was well between my wife and I. And I don't know how you as men are when you have conflicts in your home, especially between your wife and yourself. I'm sure it bothers you a lot. But sometimes we just kind of go off and we go off to work and we forget about it. Your wife doesn't, by the way. But we don't realize how much it's, it's wearing on us and how much it's, it's changing something in our spirit. We're not free to be who God called us to be unless things are well at home. Two little stories here that I found. There was a visiting minister who gave a message to a congregation. After the minister was finished, a young preacher commented to the older preacher, Brother Tim preached a good message today. He must be a good man. The older preacher responded, Yeah, he preached a good message, but I don't know if he's a good man until I meet his wife. There's a little bit more to it, but I'm going to leave that for later. <clears throat> Another story. There was a pastor who had a very successful ministry, and other pastors were seeking his advice during a conference. The pastor walked on stage and spoke a few words. They were shocked at his words. He said, To love and honor your wife is the success of your ministry. And he walked off the stage. A little bit more there, but we'll leave that for later. We talk about marriage specifically. Let's move on to the, the last one. Moral purity must be present in the home. And this one here now reaches, uh, several of these others were specifically addressing the concept of marriage and all that, but this, this reaches all of us completely. In our culture, Morality is just a free-for-all. I don't know how much you have contact with people of the world. I'm sure some of you do on a regular basis at work or whatever. But some of the things that, that we see in here today, in, in today's world, are just astounding. The freedom that married couples have to, to go out and experience whatever they want to with anybody. Um, it's, it's, as I said, it's a free-for-all. And Proverbs 6 to 7, I'm not going to read it this evening because of lack of time, but in Proverbs 6 and 7, there's some very direct words that talk about the effects of a lifestyle of impurity, moral impurity, and the way that that will, that will destroy a person's soul, destroy his entire life. There's many a man who, who had wealth and had success by all apparent measurements, doing very well, and fell into adultery and just destroyed everything. The Bible has a lot of warnings. I'm going to read a few of these. Colossians 3.5, Mortify, therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, 
and covetousness, which is idolatry. By the way, mortify means to kill it. We're supposed to kill those things in our lives. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. This is again in the ESV. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 1 Thessalonians 4. For the purpose of God for you is this, that you may be holy and may keep yourselves from the desires of the flesh so that every one of you may keep his body holy and in honor, not in the passion of evil desires like the Gentiles who have no knowledge of God. We have some young men here. You, as young men, if and when you enter into courtship, dating as we call it, your responsibility is to protect that young woman. Remember I said earlier we're protectors, we as men are protectors? This is one of the areas in which we're to be protectors. And it's one of the areas that we don't understand things very well. Did I say it long enough? We don't understand very well sometimes how that we, we, can, we can take a young lady's heart and we can just play with it. We're not many times probably not really realizing what we're doing. Maybe we're a bit innocent. Maybe we're not. But in the context of courtship or even just women relationship, young lady relationships, your responsibility is to protect that young lady. If you're dating, or if you will, you need to provide spiritual leadership, read the Bible together, pray, discuss scripture. But realizing that in all those things, you need to protect this young lady emotionally. Because so easily we go deep too, too deep too soon. And protect her physically. By treating her as you would if you would know she's going to be another man's wife. Or if, or the way that you wish another young man would if he was dating her first and you're going to marry her later. Sometimes we just need to think, we kind of need to reverse these things in our minds. And think about these things. Until you are married to that young lady, she could be another man's wife. Again, Stu Weber said, men stand tallest when they're protecting. And I think one of the ways maybe that we can, um, as, as young men, you can, you can have a vision for protecting young ladies emotionally and physically is by realizing what you were doing when you do that. You're protecting her heart. You may be protecting her for the next guy. She may not be your wife, even if you're dating her now. A few thoughts on the effects of moral failure. Think about Samson in the Old Testament. He was completely bound by his desires. His passions were just out of control. 
and it cost him his life. It'll bring slavery to you if you let that thing run. It'll blind your eyes during courtship. If you just let the physical passions run, you just kind of do what you want to do, it'll cause a deep loss of, of trust and respect for each other during the dating time and also after you're married. And it'll destroy spiritual oneness during courtship, physical, emotional, and spiritual oneness, all three of those actually. And these things are not about just not doing something bad or about trying to, to uh, you know, just kind of keep things in control. It's about reaching for the best that we can. It's not just about keeping our, our hands out of the cookie jar. It's about reaching for the best. It's about a quality of spiritual life by reaching for the, the good food. Not just avoiding the cookies, but eating the good food. And I wonder how many of us, if we just had a time of sharing right here about the moral failures of our past, we would hear some sad stories. There was a young man that I knew years ago as a boy. He was a friend of mine. Always, always was watching the girls. Always seemed to kind of lack control. He really liked the girls a lot. Now, I liked them too, but he was just at a whole other level. And after not seeing him for a number of years, our, our paths crossed again in our late teens. And one evening he came to me with tears running down his face because of his lack of self-control he had destroyed a relationship. That young man later got married to a different lady than he had initially dated, and he struggled. He struggled for years in his marriage because as a teenager, as actually as a younger boy and, and into his teenage years, he just left it roll. Whatever is fun, let's do it. If he was here today, I think he would have some very sobering things to share with you. <clears throat> Moral purity, we're living in a, in a world today where the waters are so muddied. And we're so exposed to the media these days we're bombarded by the all that stuff just the signals the messages that 
Oh, if it feels good, just do it. Have fun. But God has a better way. And I know I, I, didn't, I didn't look very deep into some of these things. Um, just kind of a bit of a, again, foundation stones for what a godly home, to, to make a godly home what it should be. <clears throat> Tomorrow evening we'll look more specifically at the role of men and what God has called you to be. Pray as you think about it that God would direct. I don't know what your needs are. Only God does. But uh, just pray that you would, or just ask that you would continue praying. I really sense a need for that. And um, to just be praying that God would direct. Let's, um, let's stand for prayer. God, thank you for the truth of your word and that we covered a lot of, a number of things briefly this evening. And I just pray that the truth of these things would sink into our hearts, that we would grasp them, believe them, and live them. Help us to be willing to hear your truth. God, we're living in a world that is fast-paced and it's just moving. It's all about fun. It's all about doing the things that feel good in the moment. And I just pray you would help us, God, to follow the truth of your word. Continue to guide um, throughout this week as we look at your word and, and discuss the the truth of the godly home. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I think I'll open it up just for a minute or two here. If you have anything you'd like to share in response to the message, maybe a testimony, maybe a confession, something to add to it. Enjoy hearing a little feedback if you have anything. Just speak up from where you are. Not trying to pressure you, I'm just giving you time. I know you're thinking something. Let's have a few more. Just say something, something that was uh, on your heart this evening.
Mm-hmm. And that that verse can shoot that thing. God knows what he's talking about. He's got a lot of good little nuggets. If we just have them stored in our heads, right? Anyone else? Yes. Yes. 